Welcome to That Trail Running Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Simpson. I'm the founder and owner of Hemp Daddy's Therapeutics and co-founded Bearded Brothers Energy Bars. I'm passionate about entrepreneurship, trail running, and the outdoors. In this podcast, I interview exciting entrepreneurs from the trail running and outdoor community. But the one thing all our guests have in common is they're passionate about the outdoors. Now let's get to the show. Welcome, welcome to That Trail Running Podcast. This is actually our first ever episode, and this podcast is all about interviewing entrepreneurs in the trail running and outdoor industry. If you want to know a little more about the show, you can go back and listen to our introduction episode where I talk what this podcast is going to be all about. But let's get let's go ahead and get to the show. Um, in today's episode, I interview Josh Sprague of Orange Mud. I first met Josh about nine years ago at the running event in Austin, Texas, when I was there with um, one of my brands, Bearded Brothers Energy Bars. And Josh had these crazy um, contraptions, so to speak, with them. One of them was their transition wrap towel, and one of them was their first product, a Hydro Quiver. Um, hydration bottles. So it's not a hydration pack. It's basically a bottle system that you wear on your back. It's promoted as a no bounce system. So it was a very innovative product when all the other brands out there were producing your um, bladder type packs. Josh had a water bottle based pack and the bottles rode on your back instead of on the front chest pockets like some of the hydration packs do. And it was kind of created from the standpoint of going on shorter runs where all you need is one bottle. And I really like the concept because I don't really like carrying things in my hand. I usually do end up carrying my phone and maybe a water bottle, but I like the idea of being able to just have that on my back rather than in my hands. And in the past eight years, Josh has grown his business to, um, it's distributed nation, not just nationwide, it's international. And he's got numerous retailers, over 150 products, and he's now based right here in Texas, not that far from where Hemp Daddy's and that trail running podcast is based. Anyway, um, before we get to the show, I'll mention one thing. This was recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic, and there's a couple of references to that in the podcast. But before we get started, I have to mention this podcast is brought to you by Hemp Daddy's Therapeutics. Hemp Daddy's is a full-spectrum CBD oil company based out of Wimberley, Texas, and we partner with a USDA-certified organic farm in Longmont, Colorado that produces all our full-spectrum products. So if you're an athlete or an outdoor enthusiast, you've got to try CBD. It's great for reducing inflammation, helping with pain, and it even helps with sleep, anxiety, and things like that like that. So you can hop over to hempdaddies.com. That's just H-E-M-P-D-A-D-D-Y-S.com. And you can use promo code T-T-R-P for 15% off your first order. Again, that's hempdaddies.com and use coupon code T-T-R-P for 15% off your first order. And one more thing before we get to the show, I have to mention, this is a brand new podcast, so I'd really appreciate it if you can go into iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts, give us a rating, and I would appreciate it too if you took the extra step and gave a review. That will really help um, get the word out about this podcast and help more people discover it. Now let's get to the show. All right, Josh, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me on. 
Yeah, you bet. So let's get started. Um, just um, I'll just have you tell us a little bit about yourself and um, about Orange Mud and how that all came to be. Actually, tell us what Orange Mud is for the people that don't know. Yeah, so Orange Mud is a we specialize in making hydration packs for endurance runners and cyclists, uh, as well as workout accessories for kind of anybody who sweats, like our transition wrap, and we have fancy gym bags and all kinds of neat stuff that uh, are all of our own products. Every single one I have, um, you know, hand designed everything before it ever went to production. And uh, yeah, we started uh, started our business about eight years ago with the first pack being a bottle-based hydration pack that mounts up high on your back called the Hydroquiver. And it's something that I just always thought that a, um, a, a small pack with key features using a bottle makes it simple, quick, easy, efficient to use, easy to grab and go, easy to wash the, blo- the bottle afterwards, and perfect for, you know, kind of training and, and, and racing both. And, and then it's just over the last eight years, you know, we're about 150 products deep now and it's just kind of exploded into its own big beast and run and ride and trail road wherever as we say wow that's that's super impressive growth for like eight years like being eight years most people would probably have the same product eight years in but here you are with you said 150 different products yeah oh, at least honestly it's probably 300 or something I, I quit counting quite a while ago and i know our core products our sheet our order sheet for our retail, we, we only sell to the specialty retail, retail channel. And, uh, and there's probably 150 items on that. And then we have a ton of apparel and everything after that, that isn't even on there. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. It's cool. That's awesome. So, so tell us like kind of what you were doing before you started orange mud and kind of what, what was the first, what was the idea that you, how did you first get the idea for the hydro quiver, which was your first product? Yeah, so the the Hydro Quiver uh, came about from from years of adventure racing, and uh, and you know I, I lived in Arizona for a long time, and I love the trails there, but the heat is oppressive, and I wanted to uh, just find a way to train easily and not hate my pack when I'm running. You know, riding you can kind of get away with a lot more, but when you're out for a run. It sucks, especially when it's in Arizona and you've got this big old heavy pack on your back and it's flopping around. It's it's hot, it's heavy, it's not breathable, and it's just a hassle. Cleaning the bladder afterwards can be a pain. Uh, so especially for short runs, like you know, we we even in even in our business where we sell a ton to ultra runners, we often forget that not everybody runs six hours, twelve, twenty, thirty, four, whatever it is, hours at a time. Most of us, even ultra runners still are running their most their most common runs are less than an hour so you only need 24 ounces of fluid for most people for most of your runs like the the extreme majority um a public and even again no matter how crazy of a runner you are that's probably going to be fine so that's where my background is an adventure racer back at the time uh and and then i was training for an ironman uh, uh, back when it, this really came about uh is what drove everything forward where I'd studied my teammates backs while we we're out for runs and rides over the years and just watched how the packs moved on them. Cause we'd always try to cut and sew and tweak our packs back then. And, and I thought, you know what? I, th- I have an idea that's going to work, but it took me like 10 years to execute it. And it was not long after my, my boy was born. He was a few months old at the time. And, and, uh, and my wife and I both had you know, pretty demanding jobs. And I, I told her, I was like, gosh, one of us has to, has to give here. So 
that's where I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go and I'm going to do something. So I went in the garage and I, I destroyed a gun holster, a uh, waste pack, some tie down straps. And I took a hotel sewing room kit and uh, a hotel room sewing kit. And, and I sewed together my first little really crude uh, prototype. And I went out for a run. I came back and said, you know what, this is going to be awesome. Uh, I think it's going to, we're going to have a backpack worth uh, probably $50,000 uh, two of them, hopefully. And worst case scenario, we're going to have two backpacks worth fifty or $25,000 each perfectly designed for us. And best case, we'll actually have a business that people will actually buy a product from us. So, um, so that's how the initial concept kind of came to be. And then my thought was that, you know, she or I, one of us could, could hopefully sooner than later, um, if nothing else, have it as a hobby. Honestly, I thought it would be a hobby because I had one idea and I thought it was a pretty great idea, but I didn't think I'd have any more ideas besides that because I didn't have any other great ideas at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then, yeah, the next thing you know, that one product, thanks to consumer feedback, spawned a second, thanks to consumer feedback, and an ambassador team uh, spawned a third and a fourth and fifth, and it just kept on going down the road. And, and uh, we've kind of just kept going ever since. Wow, that's awesome. And and so how long after that first kind of prototype you made in the garage, did you have like official working prototype? Because I remember the first time I met you was at the running event, probably about eight or nine years ago when you first yeah. started. And you, all you, you'd even have, I don't think you even had a backdrop in your booth. All you had was your hydro quiver and maybe the towel there too. So yeah. like, you know, how long was it until you had that working prototype in your hand? Yeah, well, so, um, so we, yeah, that the running event where I first met you was in 2013 and um, or uh, 2012. And, 2012, yeah, yeah. And we launched the Hydroquiver. Well, we started our business in January of 2012, and it took 10 months to get the the first 100 pieces or 200 pieces. I forget how many I ran. I think it was 200 uh, ran, and that was the end of October, October 27th, 2012, was when we officially launched. And, and then, uh, yeah, I was calling some retail stores and a retail store asked me, they're like, yeah, so what, uh, uh are you going to be at the running event in December? And I was like, yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. And while I'm on the phone with them, I'm Googling it and I'm like the running event and I see it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to check that out. It's like next month. And, uh, so yeah, I went and, you know, paid and signed up and, and then we exhibited there and, and that was a, a nice kickoff platform for us actually back in, in the, in December of 2012. But, um, but yeah, it took 10 months to get the product live, and a lot of that was was just a lot of battling, trying to find anyone in the U.S. that would talk to us. You know, when, when you're a new mm-hmm. brand in a backpack space, uh, I found no one cares about you in the mm-hmm. U.S., or very few do. So it was a very frustrating, long road. I contacted, I still remember, I, well, I forget whether it's 42 or 43 shops. But I know it was either 42 or 43 shops that I had contacted uh, all over the U.S., uh, a lot in California because that's where a lot of them are. And I only had three respond to me. One told me he wasn't interested. Another just seemed weird and it honestly sketched me out. And, um, and the other third shop, he's like, yeah, send it to China. He's like, that's not a U.S. thing. And I'm like, really? <laughs> okay. So then I was still at ground zero. And, and man, I, it was honestly, I finally got a lucky break because I had a buddy of mine, actually a guy that worked for me or used to work for me, uh, in my, in my day job, uh, or previous day job, I should say. Um, he, uh, he's like, Hey, I, I know what you're trying to do with your, with your, uh, pack company. He's like, I know a guy that makes prototype packs and that's what he, that's what he does. And I was like, really? Well, this, that would be great. And so I, I ended up getting a hold of this dude and, 
shoot, man, next thing you know, my buddy Mike got me all dialed in and, and hooked me up with the local manufacturer. And, and, um, that was maybe not the most ideal manufacturer, but they got the job done at the time. Mm -hmm. And, and then it just kind of spawned from there. And we started to find a little bit better local sources and, you know, we started to kind of tap into different networks and stuff and, and things started to get going, but it, it was, it was a really hard thing to get started in the U S people don't appreciate how limited manufacturing is for, for that type of business in the U S unless it's super boutique and you want to spend $400 on a backpack. Um, and, and, you know, make something like super high end, but, um, you know, that's not the hydration pack running hydration pack category. Uh, or if it is, it's like 0.000001% of the hydration pack category. So we knew that was not a good, uh, we, we were in a bit of a pickle on that one, but, but yeah, it was, hmm. it was a, it was a fun time. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, you mentioned the guy that, you know, one of you, one of the guys that contacted you back, he said he was going to outsource it to China. Yeah, you could have easily done that, but I know it's important for your brand for it to be made in the U.S. Is that correct? Well, in the beginning, it was, and and you know, I mean, I I wish I could have done it forever that way, but mm-hmm. it's just, you know, I I had a, a a VP of a very big company tell me once uh, back when I was pitching my Made in the USA transition wrap at the time, he told me, Josh, you're naive and an idiot if you think anybody cares, and I was like, yeah, thanks, like just prick. <laughs> You know, and it, and it, man, I, I tell you, it really soured me because this organization was going to bring in our product um, to be carried across a lot of their locations, and then uh, and two of the other VPs were totally in on it, and they just loved it. And uh, but they're like, yeah, but this guy, he makes the decision. And yeah, when I had the call with them, he's like, yeah, I'll never forget it, word for word. Josh, you're naive and an idiot if you think anybody cares. And I got to admit, it it it, it made me push even more. But it also, mm-hmm. over time, I realized he's largely right. You know, in, and right now, people are looking at things a little bit differently because yep. of COVID. But in the end, everybody has a short-term memory. And the, yep. most have a short-term memory in this world. And sadly, this whole Made in the USA re-push, it's not going to last long. I, I hope it does. Mm-hmm. But we see it come and go. It's just the, it's whatever strike. You know, people strike when it's hot and then it goes away. Um, and in the end, you know, people don't always appreciate this. It's not an easy thing to, you can't just make everything in the U S it, it's, it sounds great and you can, but you know what? Quit shopping at Walmart, quit shopping at target, home Depot, Lowe's quit going and buying every little Chinese import on Amazon. Uh, you know, it, it the world is built around a global e-com and that is going to be an impressive thing to ever change. And I, you know, in this category, I got to admit, it's a pretty hard one to change because, again, do you want to pay someone $300? And then is the technical labor even here? <laughs> that's the other big challenge. Yeah, sure. It's yep. not hardly here. You know, people don't want it. And then it, it, they, they, want the, they want the more expensive stuff. They want the, um, the medical device grade um, business. They want the defense business. You know, they, they, people are like, yeah, I want you to make it in the U.S. You should. You should do the right thing. Oh, you're going to pay $300 for it? No, no, you, no I, want it, I want it for $45. I'm like, yeah, that's because you're used to Chinese pricing. So I, I will argue this to the death with people because it's something that, that I lost a lot of money investing in the U.S. market. And I don't have any regrets for the extra money. Like I, I lost somewhere. I, I shouldn't say lost. I could have made an additional half a million dollars. When I ran the math, it was about a half a million that I would have made in those first three years of business before I started taking business overseas. And 
And it's something that I promise you money was not going in my pocket. I was losing money each year for the first three years because making things in the U.S. is crazy mm-hmm. expensive. And, and I, I believed in the mission. I still do. I still make some products in the U.S. where I can. Um, but it's something that it's why I switched is because I had forecastable price increases. I had 87% price of good, cost of goods price increase over the, over the three-year period from my factories in the U.S. And, and I knew it was only going up because most of the labor to do this is in California Labor goes up every year in California. Uh, it's it's just one of them things. It's not a good. It's it's not a good. You know, if people want to see manufacturing stay local, you got to have states and and that that support local business. And mm-hmm. California is not one of them. Uh, yep. And unfortunately, the cut and sew business is huge out there. Uh, but that is going to be. It, it well, it's the, constantly the death blow to so many businesses uh, when you know you're you're just raising at every cost all the time. So um, so anyway, I, I I always I feel horrible because I started the business on this made in America band uh, bandwagon and <clears throat> and I you know I really thumped that hard and I tell you no one cares. What, just like that VP told me, the press didn't care. No one ever mentioned we were made in the USA. I, I mean, if anything, mm-hmm. it was like a little side like. Oh yeah, by the way, it's made in the USA. It's like the very tiny. It was never like, hey, yeah, good yeah. job to these guys for actually trying. No one cared. It, it, it it's if anything, it this is that's I guess what soured me is people are like, wow, that's nice of you to do that. But you know, it's crazy. Like they looked at me like you're crazy. Like, why would you do that? And and it's uh anyway, it's it's something I I always, you know, I I I am passionate about made in America. I spent my career in it, uh, but I also am passionate about employing people. And, and, and helping to, to uh, you know, better more people's lives. And by, for us to go overseas, it increased our international exports. We're in 44 countries now, um, which we had zero at the time. So we, are actually, we, are, we now help to increase our gross, gross domestic output, which I really, really enjoy um, going overseas. And uh, we're able to hire more people. We have more people on contract as well for you know the variety of different things that have come up, and we've been able to expand and grow our business. The extra cash I put right back into the business. We still don't pay ourselves very much; never have. Uh, you know, all of our money we we truly use to make more products, better products, give more more features, and so it's there. There's a whole other argument that that people often don't appreciate when it comes to making in the U.S. that you have to strip things down. You can't offer as many features. You really have to make the choices on the simplest things to not put them on a pack because you're like, God, it's going to cost an extra $4, mm-hmm. you know, and everything yeah. starts to add up. Or overseas, maybe that would be 40 cents or 20 cents. I mean, it depends on what it is because there's a whole nother layer of product markups on every single widget that goes into the pack just buying the raw materials. Like, like five, six, seven layers sometimes of markup. So, so yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's totally insane, and I and I totally hear you. Like, um, so as, as an entrepreneur myself, you know, I know how important it is to, as a business owner, to maintain like decent profit margins so you can grow your business. Like, and like you said, employ people and things like that. So yeah, like you know, overseas is not a bad thing because you're you're not only employing people over here, you're able to grow your team locally and employ people here. And you mentioned too, like even the infrastructure isn't totally here in America for this mass manufacturing and, you know, kind of like you mentioned the COVID thing, we're doing this interview during COVID. So some people are having second thoughts about that and wanting manufacturing to come back here. But like you said, it could, it could be short lived. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah. And, and like I said, I, and that's where I always hate to kind of beat this, like send it overseas drum because in the end, 
I 100% support manufacturing in the U.S. Um, mm-hmm. There's there's a lot of industries that are perfect for it that that are that the overseas markets take advantage of, and uh, and I would love to see a lot of these loopholes closed up uh, on on a lot of junk that gets dumped into our country. Yeah, but until totally. that happens, it's just an unfair playing field, and you know. And then again, what people need to you know realize is that how many people do you know that that do those jobs that you know that that are going to be at the bare minimum wage to be able to do? And there's a gob of those out there, but even so, a lot of them it would increase the cost of like everything. I mean, you see it. You go to Walmart, you're thinking if you I spent a career in manufacturing in the US, all US made. And and it's something I I go to, you know, Walmart or Target or wherever it may be, Home Depot, Lowe's and you see these things, you're like, how in the world can they sell this widget for $45? I mean, that would have cost yeah. us $700 to make in the US. You know, it's something yeah, it's crazy. crazy. And yeah. and it's it's just fascinating even just the transport mechanisms. Like I find like these big like I don't know. Look at like a, a molasses tub for you know molasses, and it, well, I guess you need to be a country person maybe to appreciate that. But but it's <laughs> you look at the the cost of like how in the world they make them so cheap. Well, they probably make them overseas, and they still send them on an ocean boat, you know, coming over here, and it's still you know twenty bucks in the store. That's crazy. Just the plastic alone would cost twenty bucks in the U.S. or more. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's there's a yeah, lot of there's a lot of funkiness. Yeah, totally. Okay, let's so let's jump into like how you actually got this product to market. So you mentioned like your first run was around two hundred pieces. So did you have to go out and raise like a fa- friends and family run on this, or did you do this cash flow it yourself? Um, you know, a lot of people are interested in those kinds of things. Yeah. So so on our side, we yeah we cash flowed it ourselves. But that being said, we we did it well. We were set on a Kickstarter campaign. That's what we wanted mm-hmm. to do, and at the time. Kickstarter did not allow anything sporting goods related. I didn't know that. Shame on me. I should have known that. Mm. But, you know, we went through it. We shot all the videos. We did all the back-end work, got it all ready. And then we submitted it. We're like, oh, this is going to be so cool. Because what we wanted, we wanted social proof. That was the number one focus of what we were trying to do. We Mm. wanted social proof. We didn't necessarily care about the cash of it. But I I knowing it was a unique product, and one thing that we have learned about innovation is that it takes a, a a ton of time just to educate people as to what it is, how it works, why it's different, why why you should even try it. You know, innovation isn't always just like cool. I need that if it's not obvious. So that's one thing we we wanted to have social proof of why this is unique and in that this is an effective mechanism for running that is superior than other products on the market. Well, uh, that's where Kickstarter again was our platform for it. Well, we. We're turned down by Kickstarter because they said, yeah, we don't allow sporting goods. Like, we just don't do that. And I was like, ah, well, great. So uh, we pivoted and switched to Indiegogo, which was really the only other option. Mm-hmm. Now, I I was not happy. Uh, Indiegogo is great. And I don't want to knock them, but I will a little bit. So they have like like literally right next to our – uh, right next to our, our campaign was this thing that, that said, Debbie, ha- Debbie has a crack problem. And, and I, I had a buddy of mine screenshot it and sent it to me. He's like, dude, is, is your, is your, um, uh, 
like your campaign's legit, right? I'm like, oh, what do you mean? I mean, this was a friend of mine. And he saw like probably a post on my Facebook page or something about, it, I don't know. And he's like, well, I see like Debbie has a crack addiction right next to your campaign. I'm like, what? And, oh you know, God. it's just however the algorithm sourced up something that day. And I was like, oh, God. I mean, that's where Indiegogo, you can put yeah. on anything. Like if you, need to raise, if you need to raise $5 to go buy a loaf of bread, you can literally put that on there. So it's, again, I, I hate to knock it because there's an effective tool for everything. But it wasn't the tool we cared about. It, was, it mm-hmm. wasn't the social proof we were excited about. Let's put it that way. So we didn't put much effort behind it. But we thought, you know what, this will be neat. So we'll, we, we were committed to the path. And for better or for worse, we stuck with it. And, uh, and we did, we funded it with our, our goal, which was, you know, minimal goal, uh, cause we knew we were going to produce anyway, but again, we wanted, we thought it'd be good for social proof. And, and in the end, I can't complain. I'm happy with how it worked out. And, um, uh, and it, it gave us, you know, at least a platform to get excited about and allowed us a little bit of time to get our feet wet. And then, um, um, and then right after the campaign was funded, you know, I'd say a week after we were shipping product because we were building in process and, and we were kind of monitoring the sales as they were coming in, making sure we weren't oversold or anything. And, um, uh, and then our, our real official launch was actually at a half Ironman in Arizona called the Soma half Ironman in, uh, October of uh, 2012. And, um, that's what our initial kickoff was because it was really focused around triathlon at the time. Mm-hmm. I didn't expect trail, trail runners to pick it up so much because I thought, well, you know, who's going to run trails for less than like two, three hours? And this is only one bottle. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that was, you know, we, we picked up almost everybody we we're selling to in the tri side. They were like, yeah, you know, we, you know, I'm an ultra runner. I just do Ironman for fun. And um, this will be great because I can just carry it between aid stations. That's all I need is a bottle. And I was like, huh, all right, cool. So that's where cool. it, all that really took off. Yeah, and so so at that Soma half, did you guys um, come out from that event profitable? Yeah, that was incredible. <laughs> it was it was it was awesome. It was one of the most exciting things to this day uh, ever because Indiegogo was great because it, it again it was it was neat to see you know friends and family supported us and that was amazing. But and and I and I trying to make sure I say this in the right way. I mean, friends and family. I, I, I'm always thankful for them, of course, but it, it was even more exciting to pe- see the people that we didn't know because mm-hmm. that's, that's it. Your friends and family will yeah. always help you to get something up and going, but what happens beyond that? You know, because that's where your business really starts, you know, is, do you have, do you have people that want it besides your friends and family that aren't just being nice to you. <laughs> and so that's where Indiegogo was neat. We all of a sudden we'd see like, Oh, who's this guy? You know, who's this, who's this guy, you know, or gal, you know, Catherine, uh, McDaniel. I'm like, Oh sweet. Who's this? And, and, um, so that was where all of a sudden that was neat. But then at Soma half Ironman, it was great because we sold, I don't know, probably 50, 60 packs there. I don't remember how many, and, and I still regret to this day that the first guy that came up, we'd been open at like, like the booth opened at like seven in the morning or something. And, and this guy came up he's like, dude, that's really cool. Uh, yeah, I'll go ahead. I'll take it. And he just handed us 85 bucks. That's what the hydro quiver single barrel sells for still. And, uh, uh, and I, and I should have got his name or something like our first oh, cash man, sale. Like first I didn't customer. even get his name, you know, and I, I have always reg- regretted that. It just, it caught us off guard. I mean, we just opened, it was like seven oh it was like seven (laughs) and he's like yeah i'll take it like the sun wasn't even hardly up yet and um but yeah we we 
it was when we realized, hey, you know what? We're onto something here. People actually like this. This is great. You know, it's not just us. It's not just our friends that, that, that we, and we thoroughly tested a lot of versions. I, I, I want to say it was like, I have to go back to my notes, 17 or 21 prototypes or something before we really got it nailed, um, at least to a level that we felt that was acceptable to take to manufacturing where it was all mm-hmm. fit, form, function was right. It was just, how can we make it prettier? That was what we knew we needed to improve on um, in time. But but uh, but yeah, man, it was incredible. And then we, we actually went back the very next month in uh, November, uh, the next month, maybe two, three weeks later, to the full Ironman in Arizona and again, had an amazing result and then man, just got it jamming after that. Wow. That, that's amazing. So, so as far as those proto, you said 17 prototypes, do you, do you still have those? Most of them? Yeah. Plenty of them were, were to kind of destroyed throughout the process where, you know, I, I, um, didn't have much technical prowess in the sewing department at that time. So I would <laughs> often cut and trim and glue and staple and kind of at least get it to where it looked right. And, but, uh, but yeah, I, I still have my very first one I built um, in my, in my garage. And, and then, yeah, I have a variety of the initial prototypes and, um, yeah, it was, it was cool to see really. I, I, have always kept one of every model of everything at this point. Mm -hmm. I'm just like debating, what am I even doing? So we have so many widgets around, but, (laughs) but I've always kept one of every single model of every single product I've ever made. And, um, uh, and just kind of as a, as a, as a look back to, yeah. Anytime you feel like, gosh, you know what? I wish we could have done this better. And then you look, you're like, you know what? We already have done this better. Like we, sometimes you got to give yourself credit that you're, you're doing a good job. There's always room to improve. And it's hard not, there is, every time I take a product to market, I'm like, gosh, should I do this? Should I do this? There's always a hundred different ways to skin a cat, right? So mm-hmm. it's, it's something that um, it's always good sometimes just to look back and see what you've done to say, okay, uh, we're doing a good job here. Let's focus on that. And then, you know, version two, we're going to roll out these 30 changes or whatever. So yeah, it's fun. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. So, so as far as your channel strategy goes, um, what, what was your plan when you first started out? Did you know from the beginning you wanted to go into retail or did you just want to focus online? Um, so tell us a bit about that. Yeah. So, well, yeah, we always had a e-com focus, but honestly, people, it's, it's, it's funny when you really look back, look at how much e-com has changed and it, and it's easy for me to put a lot of kind of more concrete dates to things because I've had my own business and I, you know, I went from, you know, having been, you know, working for the man to, you know, working for myself and, you know, so you had these kind of pivot points and whatnot, but, but eight years ago, Amazon of course was still big, but it wasn't where it is today. It, it, it wasn't so commonplace to where you don't even think twice. Like, you almost think to go to Amazon before anything else for a lot of people. So, mm-hmm. um, so our initial strategy was e-com, but again, it, e-com was almost still a little new eight years ago. Um, you know, it wasn't, it just wasn't full fledged like it is today. Um, but, but yeah, we just, so we, we started with a, uh, with an e-com plan knowing that we had to educate, cons- educate consumers. You know, this is, it was a product that, um, it has to be fit right or it doesn't work very well. And I mean, that's the key. You get it fit right, it works amazing. You don't get it fit right, and it sucks. I mean, that's it's the th- this is the reality with a lot of products. But when you innovate, it's different. It fits different than most packs. So you actually have mm-hmm. to know how to put it on. So, so our thought was, yeah, e-com is going to be great because we can educate our consumers. We can also use it as a platform to educate our retailers um, by having additional content on there. And and so that's what we we uh, you know, made a big push for. And then 
we thought we would just be in every specialty run retail store in the country. That was our plan. But the more that we started researching specialty run, we started realizing, okay, well, a lot of these run shops aren't even really run shops. You know, they're, they're podiatry referrals. They're nurses and teachers that need shoes and they go there because they're comfortable. They're in their shoes all day, you know, and that's what they want. And we found it wasn't near as many just runners per se, you know, or, or the runners that shop in them are often kind of just, you know, they're, they're casual runners, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. It's just our packs, you know, you're probably not going to buy one of our packs if you're just a casual runner. There's not as much of an audience anyway. It's, it's more of you're a serious runner. And once, and it's just like a lot of things, as you kind of evolve through things, um, you may go to researching things online because in the end, there's so many options, especially to get something perfectly fit for you that, that it's, it's not always the easiest thing just to go buy something in a store because there's a lot more options out there. Um, so long story short, um, we did make a huge push, push at retail and specialty retail has, has been our focus, uh, since the beginning and, uh, and it still is. And, and we on the pack side are sold in, eh, I don't know, probably 50, 75 stores, something like that. Um, but with our towel, that was our pivot point that really gave us this really strong in into the specialty retail because it's a product that everybody can use. It fits that teacher, if it fits the nurse, that even if you're not a runner, um, everybody still sweats. You know, maybe you're a yoga person, you're, you're a gym rat, a lot of those same people, they'll still shop in a, in a run store because that's where you get your good quality shoes um, mm-hmm. and you make sure they fit. But again, you may not be necessarily even a runner. Maybe you just run the treadmill at the gym. You don't need one of our packs for that, but you still need to go to the run store. So that's where our, our transition wrap has been a fantastic product to be able to get our um, diversification into the run specialty space and started to make our plans execute as we hoped. Yeah, that's awesome. And in your transition wrap was actually the product for me personally was the one that caught my attention the most when I met you at that trade show because it allows you, I don't know, I'm not, can't remember if you explained at the beginning, but I mean, you can change securely um, out in public because it wraps around your waist. You can change. And, and so, yeah. And I think yeah. it goes over your seat as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Changing town seat cover. Yeah. We've sold yeah. bazillions of those. And, and um, yeah. And, and we, when I met you, we had, we had, um, well, I had, I had had the prototype overnighted to me yep. um, at the conference. Yeah. I think and, I remember uh, that. And it was, it was cool. I mean, like everybody at the conference was seen it the first time, just like I was, or at least our first, kind of more legit version or prototype mm-hmm. rather than super crude, like home sewn version. And, and well, it was still basically home sewn, but in a little bit right. fancier home office. And, um, and yeah, we, that was in uh, December and we actually got the product off the ground by February of 13. And, uh, that was December, 2012. We got it off three months later in February 13. And, and, uh, by the end of 2013, we were runners world gear of the year. And that set the stage uh, which that went live right before the running event. And then like at the running event, we, we landed over a hundred stores. Uh, wow. Just, and that was your second and, year? That was second year. First year we landed yeah. like one or two. I don't know. Yeah, I, mean, I was we going to ask that. Yeah. Um, maybe it was more, but it wasn't, we were in a terrible location. We were in like the black corner. Yeah, you were, the, like you were the back of the hall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it was like, it was so dark in the corner. I could <laughs> hardly see anything. No one ever came over there. Yep. Um, but yeah, the second year we had, uh, we couldn't take, we had four or five of us at the booth. We couldn't even take all the orders. I mean, there was so many people that couldn't even order it because there were just too many people at our booth. They were all lined wow, up. We had kind of a queue. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that was really what gave us the, the traction as a brand um, because it didn't take a lot of education. And then once that got up and jamming, 
then people were like, okay, so tell me about these packs, you know, and it kind of gave them the, the time to invest more and, and learn about them. And, and again, it's kind of helped to grow everything. Yeah, that's awesome. And so, and you mentioned that running runners were article. I know a lot of the times the media can do a lot of things for brands and it sounds like it did amazing for yours. Um, how did you go about getting that in there? Is it something you submitted or did they reach out to you directly? What happened there? Yeah, no, dumb luck. Um, we sold to a store in Salt Lake called Salt Lake Running Company. And uh, we were in town for outdoor retailer in Utah, Salt Lake. And um, in theory, that's where you would have met them. But he didn't see us there. And uh, he happened to stop at the running store on his way out of town after the conference and saw our product. And the editor called me. He's like, dude, he's like, this, this product's awesome. He's like, I love what you did with this. Um, he's like, man, would you, would you entertain um, – you know, being in our gear of the year list and, uh, or gear of the year this year in runner's world magazine. And, and, um, again, this is in August and, and, um, and the issue came out in the, uh, right before uh, Thanksgiving. And I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was a, a sales pitch to be honest, because uh-huh. oh, yeah. I mean, why would you call me and offer that? It just seemed too yeah. easy. And I, so I was waiting for the, and it's going to cost you 20,000. Yeah, it's going to cost you two grand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, I was like, ah, cool. Great. And he's like, cool. Yeah. Legal will follow up with you just to double check, uh, that we have everything right here in about a month and, uh, yeah, stay tuned. I'm like, cool. And oh, yeah, next amazing. thing I know, uh, sure enough, it happened. There was no sales pitch. Like we didn't do anything. We've yeah. actually never paid runners world magazine, um, for advertising. And oh, that's awesome. uh, I should, because honestly they were, I'm forever, forever thankful to them. I, I, they're just awesome. So yeah, very, oh, very man, lucky. Awesome fortunate that that happened for us yeah and you said the editor was at outdoor retailer and you were yeah. there with a the booth but you never encountered him and he found it on the way out of town <laughs> yeah that's pretty cool wow mm-hmm. well cool yeah, um, irony spend money yeah. to meet those people and then you don't actually meet them and where do they find it at a retailer that bought your product at Even a retailer better. that's awesome yeah. and in that transition towel is that y'all's top selling product uh it's well, no, you know, our packs are still what pays the bills, but, okay. um, but it's, it's a big chunk of, mm-hmm. it's a definitely a good chunk of our revenue though. It, it has been, um, yeah, I mean, it's still a massive product for us. Don't get me wrong, but you know, we have like 80 SKUs of packs probably <laughs> as opposed to the nine of the towel. Actually, we, we just launched a waterproof version of it. Um, it, we haven't even yeah, technically even really launched it. It's, we put it up on the website. We need to actually like promote it a little bit, but, um, but yeah, we, we, um, uh, you know, eight years in, we, we just launched the waterproof side. So we're pretty excited about that, but, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a big mover. I mean, we, we had a semi load of them, uh, mm-hmm. literally a semi load come in, um, what the first week of March. That was awesome. I'm like, gosh, oh, cool. really? <laughs> oh <laughs> right yeah. Perfect COVID timing, right? Going on? Gosh. Yep. But in, when uh, you say waterproof, do you mean it's, it's not towel material? Is that what, is that what I'm gathering? No, it is. Yeah, we actually okay. sandwiched a layer of a TPU, basically like a hydration bladder. That's what you know they're made okay. of is TPU. So we sandwiched a layer of TPU in between the microfiber. Um, so it looks just ah, like the original. Okay, okay. It um, has a full waterproof TPU uh, layer. And, okay, so you don't uh, get your seats wet now. Exactly, yeah. 100% sealed. Because you know, we always found it was a good sweat barrier, and I felt that going with the waterproof just kind of wasn't necessarily needed for most Unless it's, unless you're a swimmer and you're getting straight out of the water and into the car, yep. Or if it's you know super hot and humid, whatever, and then you get in the car. But 
we, you know, obviously we knew we had a gap there and we should have done, we needed it also. So, um, so we're, we're really pumped that, you know, we have this as an option, um, an offering now. And then, um, you know, in, in the, uh, we, we do a lot of exports and, um, and one thing we find in, uh, especially European countries is they just hate plastic waste, which I do too, but you know, it, it, it's made me a better, um, uh, it's made Orange Mud a better company as a result of going and, and growing internationally because like our packaging for the transition wrap regular is full color, highly designed. It's awesome. Uh, highly specialized plastic uh, that we had to actually have ran in Japan. Uh, as most people can't print like we need it. I couldn't find anybody in the U S and it only, I no one even the only place I could find was in Japan of all places. Uh, Cause they had like the most high tech printers to be able to do what I needed on this specific bag. Well, I was so pumped, right? And then I go to, you know, Germany, and they're like, "Yeah, uh, yeah, your packaging looks great, but I can't sell that here." I'm like, "What? What do you mean? Like, <laughs> it's fantastic. It shows exactly how to use it. Full color photo." And they're like, "Yeah, no, we don't like plastic." I'm like, "Huh? Okay, cool." So with the new water waterproof exp- uh, trans- transition wrap extreme, the waterproof version. I actually uh, used basically a stuff sack that you'd have for a sleeping bag. Uh, mm-hmm. We designed one uh, and then screen printed the, our information on it. And it doesn't, you know, have all the pictures and all this fun stuff on it, but it's kind of, the, it's got the bare bones to it. And now all of a sudden overseas are like, dude, this is perfect. This is amazing. We can, this is, this is what we need in retail. I'm like, huh, I'll be damned. You know, here I come oh, nice. up with something that actually costs more and has, in the end, just a stuff sack, and all of a sudden, it's a better perceived product. So it's really bizarre how some of these things kind of work. But uh, wow, that's cool. Yeah. So all by adapting to a market, you come up with a whole new product. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's where I was like, God, how am I going to do this? I'm like, you know, I've always been meaning to run the waterproof version. I'll just do it and then do a stuff sack. We'll test it out, see how it goes. And <clears> and, uh, and I mean, again, we haven't even hardly announced it. We have not. No one, no one in press even knows about it. And we haven't even reached out to anybody and already we've sold in the last two weeks, you know, I don't know, 400 of them or something. So, oh, dang. so that's, it's, uh, that's, that's it's pretty awesome. Start. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, sweet. Well, let's shift gears a little bit and talk a bit about marketing. Um, cause I've always been pretty impressed with your marketing, especially like your Facebook strategy. So what, what has been kind of the key to your excess success when it comes to marketing, especially in the e-com space? Well, um, yeah, I mean, that's a huge question to answer accurately, but I guess if we look at it in buckets, um, in the beginning, the marketing piece that um, got us traction, uh, really I should say the advertising piece, sales piece, but it often is kind of tied together, um, it was the Facebook Facebook channel. Um, we did have an, a straight organic Facebook post side that actually worked out quite well on the marketing side. But when it came to paid advertising, that was our, our mechanism of finding an audience and, mm-hmm. um, and, and driving them to look at our product and give us the opportunity to, to show you what we're about. And so that was a pretty big deal. Um, Entrepreneur Magazine, I made it in their top five emergency, emerging entrepreneurs of the year back in 14, I think it was, 13. I think it was 13. And, um, and that was a huge brand reach for us too, uh, because people got to learn about you know, me as a person. Uh, and, and I think sometimes seeing the face of a brand makes you actually want to try to learn about a, a product. And I know I'm that way, you know, if I see, okay, well, that guy doesn't seem like too much of a tool. Maybe I'll learn some more about his products and whatnot. And, and, um, 
so that was a huge piece that was that was all marketing related. Um, but as as we grew, it was probably about a year in. Um, we kicked off an ambassador program, and it was because we had all these people wanting to, you know, they're emailing in like, "Hey, how can I uh, become an ambassador for your brand?" I'm like, well, "Why would you want to do that?" I'm like, "I don't even know really what that means." And and uh, so my social media manager at the time, uh, Holly, she was like, "Hey, you, uh, we should we should do we should do an ambassador program." And I was like, "Well, wh- what? Like, why? Why would? What would we even do? How does it even work?" And and um, she's like, well, we'll create a Facebook group and we'll, we'll kind of organize a team and we'll, you know, kind of just roll with it, see what happens. So we did. And man, I tell you, it was really cool. Like we kicked it off with maybe 10 and uh, maybe, yeah, it was probably about 10 people. And we just kind of slowly grew it over time. And they had became, um, I'm friends with, you know, most all of them still to this mm-hmm. day uh, since the very beginning. Uh, but, but it, it's something that they became a great sounding board, uh, an idea generator, uh, and critique, uh, as well, mm. um, for our brand. So I think for me, that was one of the bigger pieces in the beginning is they were just so influential to help, um, you know, give some feedback that it isn't, wasn't a direct friends and family, you know, it's because again, friends and family are always going to tell you, your ideas are great and you're just doing so awesome and blah, 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 blah. And it's everything. But you know, it's, it's people that don't know you too well. They'll be like, eh, no, that color's ugly, you know, or mm-hmm. mm, I yeah. don't like this, you know, cause it, it, your friends and family, it's, it's always hard. A lot of people have a hard time with conflict and, 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 a, and again, even a lot of people on our ambassador team, I'm sure there's plenty of them probably that don't like something that I do, but they, they probably won't tell me, but I do have some for better or for worse will always tell me if something doesn't appeal to them. And, uh, uh, and I would always rather have that. I have always told people I'm the honest friend that is going to tell you things you probably don't want to hear. I, and I always feel like bad sometimes, but it's, it's just, you know, I believe that's the right thing to do in most cases. And I, and that's the type of people that I, that I want feedback from. So, um, so yeah, our ambassador team was just very influential for really helping to shape colors and design and features and make a well-rounded option. And that was, that was to me the big piece, you know, I'm not out there to focus on just pros. That's just not the focal point. You know, if if anything, pros are kind of the, the, the secondary benefit of our products. You know, I focus on the everyday athlete. That's who I want to get out there. I want to encourage and support and make sure they love our packs. And then I hope the pros can too, but I also appreciate the pros are, you know, they're doing this for a living. They need to make money. And, yeah, and at the totally. time we were too small and as we've gotten bigger, I don't know, I, I still struggle to even kind of go down that road because again, I, I would rather support the everyday athlete. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's where the, the ambassador team again has, has been just, you know, super, um, influential and continues to this day to be a major part of our brand for help spreading the brand message and, and, um, and keeping things growing. Wow. That's awesome. You say you, you mentioned it started out with around 10 people. Like how many do you got on the team right now? We're right about 800 and, and 800, it's actually over that wow. and, uh, because I, I don't, I don't have all of our, a lot of our international, uh, distributors, they take over a, a country. Like I'll only mm-hmm. have one. I'll, okay. I'll so this my, is, this is globally. Yeah. 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 So I have, I have a, uh, you know, global program, uh, that we, that we manage for our ambassador team, but we also have, uh, international distribution that, that has, uh, many of them have their own ambassador in-country brands and mm-hmm. like in Australia though, I, you know, I, I, uh, uh, I don't know how many he has on his team, but a lot of them are also like once they become on his team that we add them into the group. So they're part of our family too. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
Uh, and so, yeah, there's, there's plenty of them that I see, like people post an orange mud ambassador. I'm like, oh, in Norway, I'm like, I, I don't know him. I guess he must be on the orange mud page <laughs> in, in Norway that, you know, I don't manage. So, so it's, it's been a really, yeah, it's been a really cool thing, you know, to, to see our, our brand grow outside of our borders and, and, uh, and, you know, become more of a global business. Wow. That's, that's, that's awesome, man. I, and I love that the angle you had there with seeing, your ambassador team also is kind of an R and D team to get honest feedback about your products. Cause that's, yeah, that's so important. I guess, especially for you, since you guys have launched so many different products, it's like, I'm sure it's giving you loads of ideas. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's like information overload. Um, but you know what I do, I, I keep a list in Evernote of all my design ideas and, you know, feedback and ideas that I get from other people and, and, uh, and we just kind of constantly prioritize them, uh, when we're going through development cycles and, um, you know, it's, it's tricky sometimes to figure out, all right, do we, you know, if we launch this, is this, is this a better product than our other? Should we kill the other or do we, is this a compliment mm-hmm. or should, where should our focus be? You know, should we round out with X product? So we, you know, to kind of balance out that product category a little bit, or, um, it, it's definitely, there's a lot of, uh, strategy um, and honestly, kind of a little bit of lick your finger, stick it up in there and see which side the wind's blowing against it sometimes too. Um, yeah. and sometimes it's just something I want, you know, I, our 12 and 20 liter, I was, uh, climbing, uh, Pikes Peak in the snow and I had crampons and ice axe and I, I didn't want to use a competitor's pack that, it, and so I, I built one of my own for it. And, um, and then I screwed up in my initial prototype when I was doing the math and I accidentally built a 12 liter when I was building the 20. And, um, and when I did that, I chopped off the top of it, put a zipper on it. And I'm like, I'll use this for mountain biking. I started riding in it and I'm like, oh man, this is amazing. And the next thing you know, oh, we nice. launched a 12 and a 20 liter at the same time. And it was a due to an accident. So it's, um, it's, it's neat to see sometimes where things evolve and, and how, and it's great to see how many people have used those products, our 20 liter, especially in the 200 mile uh, run category. Mm-hmm. Um, we have had a lot of people use them in, the, in that, and that makes me just, really happy because that is pure adventure when you dig into 200 miles and and that's at the core of what really puts a smile on my face or people that are just pushing beyond their limits into uh, you know finding another level uh to experience and, and when you say 20 liter you meant the capacity of the pack not the water reservoir yeah. right yeah yeah i guess you could fill it with a ginormous <laughs> bladder if you wanted to but yeah 20 liter, that, that's a lot yeah. of water to carry Oh, it would be brutal. Yeah. I've carried the max I carried. We, we were in a race years ago and we had to carry, um, we were carrying at all times. We, anytime we were full, we had two, three liter bladders. Plus, uh, one of the points we knew it was a massive section and there was no water in the desert in Moab in July of all things. And, Mm -hmm. um, and we had, um, two, uh, 750 ML bottles on the side. So 7.5 liters of water. And that was not fun. Not to mention all the other mandatory gear we had to carry and, you know, 120 plus temps. But, um, yeah, I try to never carry more than two liters unless I really have to. Yeah, same here. Yeah, when I'm going on my runs, it's two liters at most. It went for the longest time. I had a two and a half liter bladder. I didn't realize it was that size until hmm. I upgraded. That one got dirty, too dirty. I upgraded. I'm like, wait a minute, this is smaller. And I was like, oh, I've been carrying around a bigger bladder this whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that definitely an odd one. That is not a common size. Yeah, it is. It's, it was a very odd one. I, I can't remember who made that one, but um, yeah. Anyway, 
Um, nice. Okay. So n- another marketing question. We talked a little bit about, you know, running event and stuff like that. So how important have trade shows been for your marketing and, and growing the brand into retail? Yeah, they, they've been very important. Um, you know, I, I struggle with trade shows in many ways, but, um, you know, and the market has, has drastically changed over the years, especially in the COVID landscape. But, uh, and I, I will be really curious to see how this impacts things going forward. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, internationally, trade shows have been amazing for us to grow our, our international distribution around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like we've been to ISPO the last three years in Munich and, and had just incredible results. And just, I, I can't say enough good things about what that show has done. Um, and it, that just wouldn't have happened otherwise. So, yeah, that's been huge. Uh, the running event in Austin has been a massive one for us. I mean, we have, uh, if nothing else, like anymore, we don't find very many new retailers there each year, but we work with most of them. So it's great just to see uh, and put a name to a face uh, or just see our friendly faces um, that we work with throughout the year uh, in person, you know, once a year, if nothing else. Um, and then, man, I tell you that the, the trade show industry has lar- largely dried up. Like Interbike used to be great for us in the bike space, and all these big brands always complained about it. A lot of people complained about it, but honestly, we had great success there. <laughs> I really liked it. Maybe That's it's awesome. because we came in towards the death of the show and we didn't know any better. Uh, but, but yeah, it's sad that that one went away because that was one of the few tools that you had into the bike industry. So, oh, wow. I had no uh, idea that one evaporated. Yeah, it went from Vegas to Reno and lived um, just, gosh, I think it was just one year in Reno and then killed it. And oh, wow. That's, uh, outdoor retailer, that one honestly never did much for us. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's such a, it was such a massive show that um, we just got lost in the crowd. They put you yep. in, when it was in Salt Lake, back in the newbie section, and you're like in these back tents, not even in yep. the main exhibit yep. hall. in the back corners, I've seen them. Yeah, it's just too much. And ever since it's been to Denver, honestly, it looks like it's maybe a little better. But, but I, I think anymore the access to information is so so much easier. And I I do, I mean, well, I mean, it's it's not like it's a secret. Just people aren't going to trade shows as much because it's like why when you could probably find most of it online and schedule a call or Skype or Facetime, mm-hmm. uh, whatever it is, and and learn a lot about the products. So um, I think. It's uh, it's still an important part of the future, but where where we have really put more energy is in the grassroots side, and and what I mean by that is is um, the in person activation, whether it's at a club uh, team event um, where we'll come out with demo kits and stuff to be able to uh, allow people just hey go sweat in our products, try it out, see what mm-hmm. you think, um, and then the other is uh, events like we sponsor hundreds and hundreds of events across the country. Uh, we activate, meaning we actually are there to either teach uh, people better products or sell products um, at, at probably roughly 50 to 70 a year. Um, this year, it'll be like 10. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, a bit. COVID. <laughs> but, um, uh, but yeah, it's, it's definitely been um, a huge piece. It's going to uh, the various mm. different aspects of run, try, mountain bike, gravel bike, um, uh, for us. And that has been a, a massive, massive, essentially trade show for us has been, you know, the events and, and it's, it's a lot more fun cause you can meet retailers there. You can meet teams and clubs there. You can meet individual people and just oh, yeah. have a one-on-one conversation make sure they're fit perfectly to your pack before they walk away. Uh, because we find some people, they, hey, hey, you know what? They just don't work with one of our packs as much as mm-hmm. like 
our packs are pretty dang universal and fit almost anybody. Every once in a while, some just doesn't work, and I can't even put my finger on it sometimes. So why is this not fitting you right? But, but, uh, but yeah. So that's been our 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 trade show of choice is is an event more so than anything. Okay. Wow. That's cool. So. So what, what advice would you give to like a new brand, um, like attending a trade show or, or an event like a, like a marathon or something like that? What kind of advice would you give to them to make sure that they have a successful event? Uh, you know, make sure you have a staff that's energized and ready to go uh, because they can be a lot, um, uh, you know, just be, I guess basically I just understand your brand and tell people about your brand, you know, that people, People want to know what your story is uh, in many cases uh, before they even want to hardly hear much about the product. Or it could go vice versa. You know, maybe the product's neat, but then you don't have any story. And like, wow, okay, cool. You're just another company trying to sell me stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but I think that's where, you know, I don't know, our, our side, I, we, I, we just go at it pretty authentic. You know, we, we love the sports we, that, that we sell to and make products for. And I personally participate in almost all of them. That Soma half Ironman I mentioned that we sold that I raced in the very next day, exhausted. But <laughs> I, you know, I raced in the very next day after, you know, being on my feet for 14 hours and talking with, you know, hundreds of people. And, uh-huh. uh, but I, I think that that's the key. Like, don't go to these events. If you're, you know, if you're not really part of the community, I, I think it's, you know, I, I think people kind of see through that. So just make sure you got a team that's ready, uh, or that's active in the space and, and just come in it, put a smile on your face and, and, uh, make sure you have all your products and, and, uh, questions and answers ready. Cool. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think that's great advice. It's definitely, you definitely can't go in, um, go into these types of shows without a game plan. You got to go into it with your, with your, with your a game for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, like you see people selling, I don't know, car insurance or whatever there. And, and Hey, you know what? In the end, it's probably a great place for that. There's probably a lot of people that are looking for it. Um, but it, I, I think that's, that's just a more odd one. You know, I know speaking as an athlete, when I go to an event, you know, I, I guess I'd, I'd rather go to a small business, um, local city thing to find a local car insurance than I would go in and buying car insurance. You know, when I've traveled into say Arizona, for example, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I would think that'd be a waste of their time. I think that's not, that's not maybe managing the expectations quite right but uh maybe some of the sales insurance is wrong or you know or, or uh, would tell me i'm wrong i should say but but uh but yeah i think that's the key you know we we love our communities we activate in, in them um and uh and that's i think one of the easiest things you can do i mean it's easy to to you know be excited about you know what it is you do when you're doing it with them yeah, <laughs> and you're totally. like hey i'll see you on course tomorrow you, you think if like a lot of people they see our packs they're like hey is this thing gonna rub me i'm like these straps going underneath your arms i can't see how it isn't gonna rub my armpits or whatever raw and i'm like no it's not like tomorrow i'm gonna run this race shirtless i'm like you might not want to look at me because i'm not the thinnest guy <laughs> in the crowd but i'm gonna be out there shirtless wearing my pack and you're gonna see you know come up i'll show you my armpits if you really want to look and i will i won't have any chaffing or rubbing there and, and uh uh and i you know i think you know people appreciate that yeah, totally. I'd say I've, with my with my brand Hemp Daddies, I've been out. We we did the Bandera 100K back in January, and I was there at the booth. The next day, raced, and so yeah, yeah, definitely good to be involved in the scene that you're that you're selling to. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Awesome. Well, just a couple more questions to wrap us up here. Um, so, what does the future look like for Orange Mud? Is there any new innovative ideas that you can tell us about? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, uh, well, we mentioned the transition wrap extreme that just was launched and, mm-hmm. 
uh, I have sailing as we speak. Uh, I may have even sailed Friday or yesterday. Um, so about 40 days out from launch is our new endurance pack and gear vest, both in version 3.0. So it's a um, you know, third version now of two of our, well, our two top selling packs. And uh, we're really excited for those to come in. And we have new colorways um, uh, that are, it's just really cool. I, this year, we're, we're trying to go subtle. Like it's all black and all white. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. um, I, I like to take kind of the BMW, Mercedes, Honda, Toyota, whatever you want to call it, approach where we keep, we, we try not to, you know, we try not to reinvent the wheel every time. You know, sometimes if you have a wheel that works great, you don't need to reinvent it. You just need to make it a little sexier, play with things a little bit. But also we, we try to go a little bit more conservative in our color choices. And we always have, you know, it's generally a black with a little bit of orange mud logo. But this time we actually doled down the logo to where it's all white uh, on the white pack, you know, where it's it's really every all the there isn't oh, nice. a, this great big in your front branding like a lot of people mm-hmm. do. And and some people tell us like, Josh, you need to put a bigger logo on the packs. I'm like, man, I don't want you to feel like you're a walking billboard. Yeah, um, yeah. But you know, on some of our products, we have like our shirts, you know, we have put a b- big old brand on there and, and we've had critiques saying, man, yeah, I, I'd like to run in your like your running shorts, but I don't like that big old orange mud paint splatter on the side. I'm like, all right, cool. So <laughs> I have a new, I actually have a new running short actually now that we in that segue, uh, coming in, in, um, I don't know, two weeks, maybe should be here oh, actually nice. really quick maybe a week. Um, a brand new running short that, that, um, we're going to be launching that is super, it's all black, got a little orange bud logo, 2.5 inches wide. So cool. we've got that coming. We have a new uh, windbreaker, and then that's been in development for a couple years. I actually was going to roll out a waterproof version of it, but we end up switching to windbreaker in the interim. And uh, and it's a really really cool design. Crazy lightweight, packs easily in a pack. It stuffs into itself. It's really really cool. Um, that's about four weeks out. Uh, COVID impacted that. Um, we have a new running cap, uh, three different colorways uh, coming in. That's that's perfect for runners. It's, uh, kind of tuck and go in your pack jersey side of your shorts whatever it's super light super breathable um it you crunch uh, crunches up to a teeny ball uh that should have been in three months ago but due to covid it's uh honestly it could be july honestly before it comes in that's stuck in bangladesh at this point uh, huh. waiting for bangladesh to reopen which at this point is not till like june 6 or something at best case so so yeah it's uh the fun things but um but yeah, and then we have a bunch more in development um, and some other uh, new packs that are going to be coming to market. Uh, we have kind of taken a little bit of backseat a little bit thanks to COVID or due to COVID. Uh, but, um, we just weren't sure how things were going to play out. So I want to be a little bit careful of not investing too heavy. Um, but, but yeah, we're, we're working it. Wow, definitely. You, get, you definitely staying busy, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's crazy. <laughs> Well, cool, man. Well, awesome. Um, Thanks so much for the conversation here. And so if people want to find out more about Orange Mud, I know you guys have a podcast as well. So tell us more about how people can connect with you in Orange Mud. Yeah, you can uh, look us up on uh, basically on social anywhere at Orange Mud uh, or on the web, orangemud.com. And uh, podcast wise, yeah, you look us up on the orangemud.com website. Just look at podcast in the header and uh, the Adventure Channel podcast has been a really fun one to talk adventure in the sport. Well, cool. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Josh. I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on, dude. Have a good day. You bet. 
All right. If you're still listening, you must have really enjoyed the episode. And I appreciate you listening all the way through. And I would greatly appreciate it if you could go onto iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. Leave us a little review. Um, give us four or five stars. Maybe even write some comments on there. I would greatly appreciate it. It would really help get the word out about this podcast. And again, this is brought to you by Hemp Daddy's Therapeutics, which is my personal CBD brand. You can go over to HempDaddies.com. That's just H-E-M-P. D-A-D-D-Y-S dot com. And you can get 15% off your first order with coupon code T-T-R-P. You just apply that code at checkout. And I would love to hear from you too. Um, you can go over to our website, thattrailrunningpodcast.com, or you can find us on Facebook and you can contact us there. I would love to hear your feedback. And if you have any ideas for future guests or if you yourself are interested in being on the podcast, I would love to hear you. Anyway, thanks for listening.